From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. Ah, thank you, Shaggy, and uh, welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of uh, Off the Record. Stinky Pete is joining me once more for another, um, well, mass debate, as it were, about music. Um, hi, Pete. How goes it in Edelsborough? <laughs> it goes very well. It's been damn cold this week. I was going to say, it's probably just as yeah. monkeys as it is here in Chelmsford. It is seriously monkeys. It's not, uh, it's not that monkeys would mean much to our American listeners. No, um, no, this is true. It's not even Cockney rhyming slang, is it? Yeah, brass monkeys, isn't it? Freeze brass the balls mon- brass monkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold enough to freeze freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I still, you're, you're still sounding still, great. Still sounding croaky. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> my, my dad always used to say, brass monkeys and I never really knew what it was all about when I was little I ended up looking it up I think it's something to do with the um, Napoleonic Wars when um, and cannonballs which used to be stored on brass trays yeah cool brass and then when it when it got really cold they contracted and the balls fell off so uh, that's where it came from anyway Um, basically it's bloody cold it is Although it's cold. going to be colder probably tomorrow, I read. Um, oh, super. <laughs> we'll try to warm the cockles of everyone, uh, certainly ourselves, with our topic this week, which is albums released in 1967, uh, the year of the um, Summer of Love, Psychedelia, Flower Power, whatever you want to call it. Stinky and I have picked... 10 favourite albums of ours released that year. Um, maybe the 10 favourites or, you know, just 10 top albums, but obviously you like them anyway. Um, with some no doubt honorary mentions at the end. Um, how have you found it, Stinks? 67. Good year. Uh, it was a great year, and I've been really looking forward to doing this one because uh, I think there was some seminal albums um and i just think it was interesting because of the background to it all you know if austin was here he'd be talking about um all of the stuff around uh different decades of rock and now oh, rock yeah, yeah. Grew and all the rest of it um and i think really 1967 was that bridge year wasn't it between the kind of the more pop and then sort of early blues um stuff that was sort of in 65 and 66 and then sort of 68, 69, you started getting more of the the Led Zepps and uh, all of those guys uh, crawling out of the work. So 67 was this, it was a bridge year. And I think just it's interesting because I think you take 67 and 68, you've got that real kind of interesting history, haven't you? Because as you say, you've got the summer of love. I was was having a look, you know, do you know how many US troops there were in Vietnam by 1967? I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. Tell me. Half a million. 500,000 US troops. I I couldn't believe it when I saw the numbers. And the average age was? 19. 19, yeah. (laughs) It was indeed. Um, So you've you've got kind of, you've got the kind of summer of love thing and the whole hate and Asprey and the San Francisco sound and the whole West Coast thing going on. 
Um, but then against the background of this conflict on the other side of the world and, mm. you know, the, um, and then, of course, running up to 1968, the year of revolution. So it really was a, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting time historically and an interesting time musically as well. So, yeah, I've enjoyed this. Rock started. Would, is that fair to say, really, in 67 or not? I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think it is. I think, yeah. A bold yeah. statement, but nonetheless possibly true. Um, I, I would say, I, I obviously, 1967, you can't mention 1967 without mentioning the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, um, because, you know, it, 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 it's often cited and voted as, as the best, best ever album. You might not agree with that, but it often is. And uh, we've, we have discussed it at length um, on a few occasions. Well, I think we did vote it as our <laughs> favourite Beatles album, didn't we? On the, uh, the one we looked at the Beatles. And the well, album. you and Austin maybe did, but I, I yeah. didn't. <clears throat> um, it isn't probably my favourite Beatles album, but that's beside the point. Let's not talk about the Beatles too much. Um, so basically my list, uh, because of that, it's like Sgt. Pepper is like up there. Um as far as I'm concerned, yeah. uh, in terms of its influence, uh, impact, uh, and, and generally how it's viewed uh, in the music world. Um, so it's like 10 apart from Sgt. Pepper. I mean, and talking to the Beatles still, of course, they did have another album in 1967, at least in America, which is Magical Mystery Tour. Mystery and Tour. Unlike me, I know, but I have included neither in my list of 10 because Sgt. Pepper have just gone over. Magical Mystery Tour was, to my mind, almost like a compilation album that Capital put out at the end of 67. Uh, we had it as a, a maxi EP or double EP, I think it's called, right. uh, uh, with the, the songs from the uh, TV movie that went out on Boxing Day here uh, in the UK. Um, and it got still got to number two in the singles chart, to be fair. Only kept off the top by Hello Goodbye, funnily enough, by the Beatles which, as a side issue, was released on this very day in 1967. Anyway, that ties in quite neatly. <laughs> <isn't it>? um, <laughs> in, in America... Well done, Stato. Thank you very much. In America, um, they didn't release the WP and they released an album. Yeah. Uh, side one was the, in the days, you know, the old school, side one and two LPs. Yeah. Um, had the, the songs from the TV movie and the, the second side was basically every other A and B side single that they had that year so i haven't included them but there are nevertheless some belters of albums that were released in 1967 that didn't involve the beatles and i'm sure i might get the odd link or reference in to the beatles at some point <laughs> yeah uh, i'm gonna really I'm struggle sure you, i'm gonna yes. really struggle to get a yes one in <laughs> no. well we can only hope we it's can not only going hope. well <laughs> all right um so uh, I'll let you kick off. Um, if you, you've got, a, I think you're right in telling me. Tell me before off air. You've you've got a top one, I've got a top and then one. you've got nine others in no particular order. Yeah. Um, so it's up to you if you want to go hell for leather on the top one at first, or well, leave that till the end. No, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go hell for leather on the top one. Okay. First. Um, so here's a quote. Okay. 1967. Nothing caught the strangeness of those days or captured the combination of beauty and dread they contained quite like this album. someone's masterpiece, 
name of album. Okay. Um, it's what? it's a era defining masterpiece. Eleven perfect songs, and it's in my top ten favorite albums of all time. Hmm. Okay. Well, if I I was thinking that. If it's the album I'm thinking of, I may well have it in my top ten as well. I'd be amazed if you haven't. Uh, is the title uh, two words? Yes. There you go. You got it. Yes, I got it in. I knew I'd get you. Um, <laughs> um, is it Forever Changes? It is Forever Changes. Yeah. Okay. It is. By Love. By Love. Okay, and that is one of my ten. So um, okay. Well, so I'll we let you. Well, uh, yeah, all right. Well, I'll, I'll say what I want to say, and then um, you can. If I've got anything else to add, I can add add whatever you like. I, as I say, I mean, it, it it really is just it's eleven perfect songs. I don't think there's a duff track on it. A um, little bit of background: very much seen as the hippest band in LA after the Birds, um, but um, ethnically because they were mixed you know two black guys playing music which was extremely unlikely to inspire a black audience um and also you know long rambling epics and if you know the album da capo or da capo um but revelation the second one yeah the whole aside too um and um, and then, of course, the other thing was that it, because it was a summer of love and because it was L.A. and because it was the band that it was, they were also using industrial quantities of drugs, um, which were, you know, taking their toll. Um, so the album's produced by Bruce Botnick. Um, and basically, he looked at the mess that was around him and decided the best thing he could do was to hire in a bunch of session musicians to support the band. Um, so... Uh, they recorded Daily Planet and and More Again, which I think is a beautiful song. And they recorded those in a single day. Uh, and then basically what he did was he sent the band away and said, um, get your act together and practice some of these songs. Uh, and effectively what they did then was they, they booked a day of studio time, came in, recorded a song or two, and then got sent away again to learn the next ones because they were so all over the place that they couldn't, kind of do very much more than that um and what that effectively meant was that it took four months to create the album um but i think you know the interesting thing for me is that certainly it was unlike anything that had gone before i'd argue a reasonable case to say that it was unlike anything that's followed up since either it's kind of you know i saw a quote acid rock on acoustic guitar and symphony orchestra with a mariachi band thrown in. And you kind of, you take all of those things and you go, well, there's no reason why that would work. But Alone Again or is just, it's just a perfect, perfect song. Perfect song. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting about it is, you know, it, 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 it got in the top 30 in the UK, the album did, um, but it did absolutely nothing in the States. It was way too far out and way too out there, way too different for the West Coast at the time. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, it was big in the UK. And, and I mean, I mean, I was 10 in 1967, so I didn't really become aware of it until, you know, the, the mid-70s, the sort of 73, 74. Um, 
but it was one of those things that used to get played all the time when we went around people's houses, you know, have you heard this? Mm. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful album. I love it to death. I do. I love the album as well, to be fair. And it is one of my 10. I, I, whereas I, try, I tried to maybe not include a couple that I thought you're bound to have. I, I did the same. I couldn't <laughs> so not include this. Them. That's the trouble. No. There's all the classic albums. Oh, no. left off. <laughs> I thought, no, I'm going to have to have this one in. Um, <laughs> as you said, Alone Again All was an absolutely perfect, perfect song. Um, Singles-wise, not only you said the album did not too bad here, the single didn't do anything. No, I mean, Alone Again All, that the... the, the, uh, the Single in the States, again, didn't do I did. I think when it originally came out, it, it, it got to number 123. Right. Um, and But eventually got to number 99 in the US, but that wasn't until about 1970. So, um, yeah, a bit weird. Um, Was Bummer in the Summer released as a single as well? Not that I'm aware of, but, right. I mean, I'm you know, I'm no expert on it all, on, on them all, but... Um, I didn't realise Alone Again Or was, wasn't was an Arthur Lee song. No. It was, um, was that, no, you didn't know, or no, no I, it wasn't. I, I didn't realise until I was reading the sleeve we notes reading it up. of my yeah, copy earlier on today. It was actually one of uh, Brian, is it McLean or McLean? Yeah, McLean. Well, I, uh, yeah, McLean. It could be like, either of them. Um, it was his song. In yeah. fact, I did read a bit about it because I do love the songs. I was reading up a bit about that. Um, it was originally intended for the first album, the self-titled debut album. Right. But it wasn't completed uh, until the Forever Changes uh, album. Um, it was... Um, I think what I like about it is the interesting um, contrast between... Because it's quite sort of an up song, isn't it, melody-wise, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but absolutely. the theme... The theme lyrically, it's quite sort of dark. It's quite sort of sad, and yep. even it ends. It ends with the you know, and I will be alone again tonight, my dear. Yep. And right. a, a lone acoustic guitar, um, ending on an E minor plus two chord. Is a matter of interest. I'm, I'm um, um, but it was originally uh, McLean's song, and it was called Alone Again. Now it's only when it came to be on the Forever Changes album. And they weren't really getting on, I believe. No, the, the, well, that's because they were basically again. just off their faces, completely, yeah, maybe absolutely so. off their faces. And he obviously, Lee didn't think McLean's voice was up to it because he sang it on it originally. And yeah. So he sang it yeah. and mysteriously added the word or onto the end of the title. Well, I mean, there was a lot um, of mysterious stuff going on, really. Which was weird. Did you, did you know where the title of the album came from? Sorry, have you read that? No. Tell me, enlighten oh, me. Arthur I Lee. do love. Sorry, I do love the album artwork as well because obviously in the sixties and seventies, a lot a big part of the albums was the artwork, and I just think the artwork is really it's nice, it's clever, it's quite Spartan with that white cover, but then with the all the faces in that kind of Technicolor thing. That, mm. So that's really interesting as well. I think. Well, apparently Arthur Lee, uh, a friend of a friend, uh, or friend of a friend, had a, a a breakup in a relationship. And one of the pair of them said to the other, you said you'd love me forever. And the answer was, well, forever, forever changes. No, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a good story. I like that. Yeah. And um, 
And actually, Arthur Lee would claim that the actual title of the album is Love Forever Changes, actually. Really? So I, so I was reading, yeah. We oh, always call it Forever Changes, but maybe it's actually Love Forever Changes. People think it's the band name. It's actually yeah. Love Forever Changes. Well, and that, yeah, and that is actually how it is on the album cover, isn't it? Yes. That's, oh, what, that's what I mean, yeah. Ah, um, so, yeah, uh, that, it was, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that one, really. It, it, I pref- much prefer this album to the previous two, if I'm honest. Well, the first one disappeared without trace, and De Carpo yeah. is, 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 De Carpo is quite a nice album, but um, then, of course, that, was, that was another 1967, wasn't it? That could have been yeah, on the yeah, list. That's true, earlier on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, yeah, it, I, I did read, I knew much about De Carpo, um, but this is certainly more uh, folk-oriented sort of sound to it and uh, orchestration and, and, and stuff like that. Well, it's, just, it's got everything thrown at it, hasn't it? I mean, the Mariachi yes. band, where did that come from? But, I mean, it just works beautifully in that song. But it's funny, a lot of these albums, we've said this before, that were, were that are, just weren't commercially successful or or maybe that critically well-received, but soon become regarded, as this does. I mean, this one has now become regarded as um, like an influential uh, 60s psychedelia sort of document, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, right. I mean, it's, got, it's got, if you if you look at the, Gar- if you, I, I can't remember which was, it was The Independent or The Guardian. I just was looking, because I was thinking about all the different albums it could be, and it was the top 20 most influential albums of 1967 or top 20 albums of 1967 and Forever Changes was number one. Oh, well, so, there you go. Okay. It's, uh, and I'll, I'll maybe quote this list a bit, but I've, I've looking at the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time lists. Um, and this is in it at 180. You'll be displeased, displeased to know. Well, Only 180, but it's in there anyway. It, so as it should be. Well, I mean, we didn't we uh, didn't we find out that uh, Band on the Run or something that we were talking about last week was uh, was in at three hundred and something. So what does Rolling What does Rolling Stone know? What do they know, indeed? Right. Anyway, well, so we so we both we both one of mine as well. I'm not going to add another one in. So we'll, we'll we'll just call that my my first one as well because it's obviously a, a, a classic album. I'll go on to my first one then. Yeah. Uh, or my second one, if you like. Mm. Um. It's an album that it was their second album. You can guess what it is from all this. This uh, it's the second album it came out on the 18th of November 1967. Um, was a number 44 US hit, not huge. It's number eight, 188 in the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. <laughs> this really helps you. Yeah, um, it's more it. Um, the protracted, they're much more protracted the sessions for the album. It's over nine months, uh, mainly because uh, the bassist uh, Bruce Palmer does that ring any bells to you? Um, was deported and then he, he, he came back eventually and illegally, I think, and then tried to complete the album. And Neil Young left the band a few times in the meantime, as is Neil, one, Neil Young's right. want. So, um, we're talking Buffalo Springfield again. Yeah, which I've also got on my list. You've got on your list as well. Okay. Yeah. I've got I've got a guess of what your 10 is, and I'll see whether or not um, that's on it. Um, yeah, he, he quit the band a few times, and he even missed the Monterey Pop Festival, I believe, uh, in, in the meantime. And 
Stephen at Stephen Stills' request, David Crosby uh, stood in for him. Um, I mean, if you've got anything to add to this as well, that's fine. I would say that it was the first album to have any Richie Fure songs on. Yeah. Um, there were four still songs on it, three young songs. In fact, one of them was pretty much a young solo, which was um, expected to fly, which is just him and yes. uh, the arrangement, uh, orchestra arrangement by Jack Nitch, I think it was. Yeah, um, yeah, they had uh, singles released, none of which in the UK had any success whatsoever, but in the US, not huge either there either. But Bluebird, Mr. Souls, like A and B side 58 yeah. in the US, Rock and Roll Woman and A Child's Claim to Fame was number 44, and Expecting to Fly in Every Days was a number 88. And one other point before you might want to add anything. Um, the audience screaming crowd at the start of the final track, I think it is, Broken Arrow, Neil yeah. Young's song, uh, is not the crowd at a Buffalo Springfield concert, but you guess it's it. a stadium of some sort, isn't it's it? It's a Beatles concert. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, it's God, crowd. It yes, it's a crowd. Well, a, absolutely. Screaming right. crowd from a Beatles concert that you've touched on at the is. beginning of that of song. Um, so that is my first choice. Okay, uh, well, I, I mean, anything just... else to say on it? Well, there was, a, there was a couple of things that I that I found really interesting. There's a beautiful quote about Buffalo Springfield, which was a band too full of songwriters to survive. Huh. So, in other words, you know, they 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 had that top ten hit, hadn't they? For um for what it's worth, with which was the Steve Stills song in the states, um, of course, in the states over here. Um, but so, so on this album, by this time, you've got kind of Stills and Young in a competition to try and write the best songs to the detriment of, of Richie Fury, who was, you know, not the same kind of, uh, same kind of people. And, and the more you read about them, and I mean, I, I've, I haven't got this album, but I've got quite a few tracks because it's um, on the, one of the Neil Young compilations, I think Decades or something. Um, uh, what's the first out? What's the first track? Uh, Mr. Soul. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's on that, and I think so is I can't remember whether it's expecting to fly a broken arrow, and that kind of pointed forward to the sort of arrangements that you then got in Harvest because mm-hmm. that was he was involved with Jet Nature and that as well, wasn't he? But yep. um, it, it, it was this kind of um, there was another quote I found which you know they were a collection of individuals, not a group. Yeah. So, um, but I sort, um, of, I sort of understand that, but they they did okay, didn't they? Oh, and, and wrote some wonderful songs. I mean, Steve Stills is a brilliant songwriter, and so is Neil Young. So you know, and, and, and Richie Fury. What does that make Crosby, Stills, Nash, or Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young? I mean, it makes them a, the ultimate supergroup. Supergroup, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Graham yes. Nash was a brilliant songwriter. David Crosby was a brilliant songwriter. So, um, I mean, Richie Fury was then in the uh, Southern Hillman Fury band, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, and they did Hillman Fury. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. the birds, Hill, uh, Hill, from the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting that kind of rock family trees thing. So, all right, so we've uh, we've, we've we've done chosen we've chosen the I've same chosen two albums, <laughs> yeah. excellent, and that's the end good. of the show. Thank you, very <laughs> much. it's all over. Thank you, bye bye, and night night. <laughs> all right, um, well, you take the next one then, okay? Um, well, if you, um, I think you've got this one as well, so we'll see. Go on, then, we'll see. Um, this is, um 
in America, they would call this the sophomore album of this uh, band, which Ooh, yeah, uh, means, it's the, yeah, means it's the second one. Yeah. Um, and it is quoted as being, quote, unquote, a musical picture of the summer of love. Mm, interesting. A musical picture of the summer of love. And it has two absolutely huge singles on it not necessarily in terms of chart although one of them got to number five in the us uh didn't do as much in the uh in the uk but these are still songs that are played on the radio very very regularly um did they have two albums that year uh, not to the best of not, my knowledge. No, no, no. I could be wrong. You know what? I don't think I'm going to have it in my... Uh, okay. Well, either. so it is Futuristic Pillow by Jefferson Oh, okay. Campbell. All right. Okay. Did you have that on your list? You, mean, you don't mean futuristic. You mean surrealistic. Uh, well, I mean Futuristic Pillow by Jefferson Airplane, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Or, or surrealistic. Uh, yeah, surrealistic, yeah. It's uh, easier to say futuristic, yeah. I suppose. Uh, it is. Yeah. Did I write it down? Probably wrote it down wrong. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So um, it was the second album, but it was the first to feature uh, Grace Slick, who yes. would be up in my list of uh, female my favourite singers. female singers and vocalists. Um, real talent, you know, singer, keyboard, songwriter. And she was the one who contributed both of the standout tracks, Someone to Love, which was um, the US number five, and... What is referred to, and I love this description, as the acid bolero white rabbit, uh, which is oh, a... It's a great song. Uh, it's a great song. Um, uh, uh, again, described as hallucinogenic psych rock that still has resonance today. So it was uh, very much, uh, very much of its time. And also, I think what's interesting about that album um, is that um, three-fifths of a mile in 10 seconds is very much a kind of classic blues rock song. So it was quite, although it was very spacey and very psyche and hippie, um, that really pointed forward to not Zeppelin, but kind of more that kind of free, more bluesy, rocky sound um, that was coming down the pipe it sort of from 69 onwards. But um, yeah, well, so surrealistic, surrealistic. I can't surrealistic, pillow, yeah, surrealistic. That's why I said yeah. Fu- futuristic, yeah. That's surrealistic. It's pillow. easy, yeah. Just no, <laughs> pillow, yeah, that'll do. Um, yeah, well, I had that as one of my uh, standbys. Right. Um, so I could tell you quite accurately that it had three singles on it. My best friend uh, was uh, got the number 103 okay. in the States. Again, the UK, nothing. Yeah. Nothing by Jefferson Airplane whatsoever, uh, or even Jefferson Starship, actually. Only had hit when Starship came about. Yeah, Starship uh, somebody, had several hits. Somebody Love, number five, White Rabbit, number eight. Yeah. Oh, uh, although, despite not having any hits, uh, the album won a silver disc in the UK, which probably is only about 60,000 copies, which I, I don't know whether that's... Uh, Tremendous amount. Again, it's one of those. It's one of those albums that I remember going and sitting around at my mate's house in Buckerstill when we'd have a, a a night where we, you know, just sat down and listened to albums. And this was one of the ones that used to get played fairly regularly, largely off the back of White Rabbit because it was, you know, it's it yeah, so it's just a, it's a short but a great song. Yeah, it is, and and Grace and Grace Slick song. Yeah, I think it was yeah. a Grace Slick song. I mean, what a voice that girl's got! Terrific, love her. 
And that was a number three hit in the States, the album, Surrealistic Fellow. Um, yeah, I've got a quote here. One of the one of the quintessential works of the early psychedelic rock and 1960s counterculture eras. Absolutely. Um, and and talking of like we did with Forever Changes, do you know where the title of this one came from? <laughs> there were a lot Probably. of rumors that Jerry Probably. Garcia, Jerry Garcia of Grateful Dead fame, was uh, involved in the making of the album. No, no. Um, sort of hanging around, maybe co-writing some of the songs. Um, although I don't, I'm not sure he actually gets the credit. Um, but a comment from Jerry Garcia um, is what inspired the album title. And he said that the album was as surreal, surre- I can't even say it now, as surrealistic as a pillow is soft. Well, there we go. And that's what they got the title Surrealistic Pillow from. If only he'd said futuristic, I wouldn't have. It would have been, oh. it would have been, yeah. But I can't say that word. There's way too many L's and S's. Yeah. Um, It's the first blockbuster album from San Francisco band, from a San Francisco band, I suspect. Yeah. Back on our Rolling Stone 500 list here, it's number 146. So we're getting higher. What, more influential than... uh... Darker than um, I, don't know, I don't know how they. I don't I, know how I, they. I it's think just not. A personal choice, <laughs> I guess, isn't it? Just a personal choice. Have a word with Cameron Crow. <laughs> right. Okay. Surrealistic pillow for you. This one, I don't think you're going to have, although it is generally regarded as a a classic of its genre. Again, it was a debut album, not at all commercially successful at the time mostly ignored by uh, contemporary uh, critics. Um, the title, the, the, the topics of the album include, this is right up your street, this one, topics include drug abuse, prostitution, sadomasochism and sexual deviancy. There you go. Um, oh, is this going to be the Vel- is this going to be Velvet Underground? It is. Is it on your list? <laughs> no, it's on my. Um, it, it was on my. I thought list. Colin right. might choose it list. <laughs> it's on my list, and um, even though the pathetic response at the start, um, it has subsequently regarded again as as one of the most influential albums, probably in in pop music history. Um, the original art rock record. Andy Warhol's uh, yes, the banana. Leave the banana, and uh, it's not Paul McCartney's banana, as in high, high, high this time. <laughs> um, uh, influencing, it says, punk garage or garage, as we might call it, kraut rock, post punk, goth, and indie. And um, Brian Eno, the esteemed Brian Eno, uh, was quoted as saying, "It only sold thirty thousand in the first five years." which is true, it did. But everyone who bought the album in those five years ended up starting a band. (laughs) So there you go. And this might be the peak of the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums, number 13 in the list. Hell. You're you're not confident about that, are you? No, I Um, I mean, I, I, I would, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, um, it's it was Warhol's uh, advice to to bring Nico into it because it's Velvet Velvet Underground and Nico, yeah, um, and to be involved. I mean, she'd occasionally sung with them lead anyway with the band, um, and she sings on the on the albums. It's Fan Fatale, uh, All Tomorrow's Parties, and I'll be your 
uh, Mirror, and also back up to Lou Reed on uh, the opening track, lovely opening track, Sunday morning. Um, mostly recorded uh, mid-April 66, Lou Reed obviously writing most, if not all, of the lyrics. Yeah. The, we talk about the success or lack of it. US peak was only 171, eventually creeping up to 129 years later, probably five years after the 30,000 had been sold. Um, the highest position in the UK, which is a bit higher, was 43. A couple of singles, flops, of course. All Tomorrow's Parties uh, in July 66 and Sunday morning in December 66. So Velvet Underground and Nico is my next one. I think it's really interesting because the more you think about it, you take that, you take Forever Changes, you take, you know, I'm sure some of the other albums we're going to talk about. And a lot of them didn't really do anything at the time. No, it's and true. That's because... 1967 was this bridge year and the world wasn't ready for it. But now we can look back across music history and really appreciate it for what it was and how groundbreaking it was for everything that, you know, just like you quoting indie and, and mm. punk, post-punk and, you know. It, all those. It, it kind of like, it, it, it was almost like a gateway to all of those things. And there's quite a few of these albums are. So they might not have done a lot at the time, but they were massively influential down the track, and I bet that that album's probably sold a million copies plus now, hasn't it? It, it may well have done. Other people have latched onto it and gone, well, actually, these guys, and, and I mean, a lot of people bought Transformer, didn't they? So people would have backed yep. all Lou Reed stuff. Off, off yeah, I went off, back to buy off them. Back yeah. of, of, of Berlin and, um, and, and Transformer. Back off Berlin, as opposed yeah. to back off Boogaloo. As opposed to last week. Boogaloo. <laughs> yes, which we, well, of course, the Beatles was the same. Of course, Sgt. Pepper had massive influence. So <laughs> yes, massively influential. <laughs> but of course, that wasn't their <laughs> debut album. I thought, I no. suppose everyone knew who they were. Um, right. Um, Velvet Underground, we draw a line under that end. So, what have you got next? Well, Something this that is I've got, I... maybe? No, this is one of my real left field ones. Okay. This is, well, bearing in mind that um, I was a singer uh, and bearing in mind that, therefore, vocal work is something which is really important to me. And that's not just, you know, like that's like all vocals. So, you know, church music and, 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 and you know, I mean, vocal, I love vocals, good vocals. Mm-hmm. So I've gone for a great vocal performance. So my album is, is it male or female? Out by the Four Tops. Reach Out the Four Tops. Yes. Okay. Now, this is a brilliant album. And what I love about it is that you could very easily mistake it for a Greatest Hits album Mm. because it produced an absolutely astounding six hit singles. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is Levi Stubbs, and he's absolutely most majestic as a as a as a, as a singer and a writer. Um, so Bernadette, walk away, Renee. If I were a carpenter, seven mm-hmm. rooms of gloom, standing in the shadows of love. What a great song! And then, of course, the classic "Reach Out." I'll be there. Um, How many singles did you say? That's more than six. I was going to say six, yeah. Yeah, six. Oh, Bernadette, big hit. Why Renee, if I were a carpenter, seven rooms of gloom, standing in the shadows of love, reach out, I'll be there. Standing in the shadows of love, yeah, a great song. I always thought it was very, 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 maybe even another very similar to reach out, I'll be there. 
exactly the same, wasn't it? The, the sort of but, first yeah. line of the verse. But that goes uh, back to what I said last week about the fact there's only so many different ways you can string together notes in music. Yeah, but fair for, enough. But for me, and this is this is a bold statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. Yeah. For me, the Four Tops were the greatest male vocal group of all time. They just they 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 were absolutely perfect as a male vocal group, and I absolutely love them. And this is a brilliant, brilliant album. And the yeah, rest, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's other stuff on there. He's quote unquote filler, but those six singles are just of their genre. They're peerless, and I love that. I mean, I'm a massive Motown fan. I, I really like the Motown sound. Um, so you know, the Detroit, all of those kind of um, you know, Detroit spinners, all all that lot, all of those sounds, I love them. But the Four Tops were, yeah, in the league. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I like the Four Tops definitely like the Four Tops and all of those singles you say. I I believe there were there were a few covers on it. Well, I suppose they're all covers because they didn't write anything themselves, I guess. But um, from the Motown team, I thought you were going to say they're the all time your all time favorite Motown band. Uh, but his all favorite vocal group. He's got no, my favorite. My all time favorite Motown band is Stevie Wonder. Okay, good band. Good band. Well, Stevie Wonder and whoever was supporting him. Yeah, no, I I, I, I love. If I were a a carpenter, was a great song. It was done by a few people. Yeah, Um, uh, a Tim Harding song, I think it was. Um, And who else did it? Uh, Bobby Darren, maybe something like that. Yes. What is? Didn't Bobby Darren write it? No, no, I think it was a Tim Harding song. Oh, was it Tim Harding? I thought it was Bobby. But I I mean, Walk Away, Renee. What a great song. Oh it, yeah, I mean, they, Bernadette. I mean, they're all just brilliant songs, and they they were so tight as a vocal harmony group. Yes, they were just superb, absolutely superb. Because the Love main them. ones that you suggest are all Holland, Dozier Holland. So all the Motown uh, crew right. um, wrote them for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I recover to was Tim Harding. Also, a version of uh, Last Train at Clarksville, and I'm a believer. Both done, of course, by the monkeys. Okay, so um, yeah, that was a surprise. This might be for you as well, uh, or from me. Uh, see how quickly you get to this one. Tenth um, of March, sixty-seven. It came out. Now it was her. There's a clue for you. Her tenth album. Um, after it's a first with Atlantic Records, actually. Oh, I know exactly what this is. This is in my top ten as well. Okay, so having left Columbia, yeah, she left Columbia and nine joined, really, yeah, yeah unimpressive yeah. Uh, jazz albums, and it was a commercial breakthrough album. So obviously, you know what it is. I uh, do. We won't. It's it's um, Aretha Franklin, of course. I never and, loved a man the way I love you. Well, that's nice of you to say. Thank you so much. I but thought I'd just get it first before you had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, right. So, um, yeah, we'll probably overlap a bit here. So it's just good. We, that, it's all good. Um, first top 10 album, in fact, uh, number two in the US, um, 36 in the UK. Um, obviously, her signature song um, is uh, on air opening the album, in fact, of respect. Um, although it was an Otis Redding written song, and of course he recorded it himself, um, she did alter the lyrics. Hey, what? Are you sure? Am I sure what? 
that it was Notice Reddington. Uh, was it? Was it not? Or maybe he recorded I it. I think it's Ray Charles. Okay. I'll, I'll I, check that I out. What? Because I, I did get the name of the Jefferson Airplane album wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's entirely possible. But given that I was doing my research not very long ago, I could have got this wrong. I right, think well, while, I'm, while I'm reading out some other duff information, uh, I'll check that Aretha. <laughs> um, I'll check that Aretha out. Um, but it was, um, she turned it into a feminist 60s anthem anyway, didn't absolutely. she? Yeah, absolutely. Um, recorded on Valentine's Day in 1960. Did you know that? No. Well, you do now. With her on well, piano? I, sorry? With herself on piano? Well, this is the, one of the interesting things about it, about it, isn't it? Because she self-accompanied and wrote four of the tracks, and that yes. was really unusual because almost all of the soul artists just um, sung stuff that was written for them by the studios. And that was one of the things that moving to Atlantic gave her because Jerry Wexler um, basically just said, you know, record something which is about you. I've just looked up Respect, and um, it is written by Otis Redding. Is it really? He shoots. Why did I, why did I, he scores. Why did I have Charles now? No, no. Um, yeah, Otis Redding recorded it first, anyway. Steve Cropper was uh, producing it. Um, yeah, as I've got this written down as well. She co-wrote four songs on the album, yeah. um, two with sister uh, Carolyn, yeah. one with husband Ted White, the soccer team, in respect, the on respect, I should say, which, as you well know, Pete, was written by written by uh, uh, yeah, Otis yeah. Redding. Soccer team is soccer team. Soccer team. You just like to, you know, kick it around <laughs> in that one home. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, I've it's had a really, really bad week. It's, <laughs> You're it's, lucky I'm here at all. It's quite surrealistic, really, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, very good. It's, or futuristic. So, <laughs> yeah, soccer team is soccer team is soccer team. The the bit. That the uh, the backing singers do yeah. are her are her sisters, Carolyn and Irma. Um, um, bu- 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 bu. couple of good uh, Sam Cooke covers on there. Closes yeah, with the changes. Changes going change to come. come. I think it's the final track on the album. Yeah, it's a well, great. I've got the album called. Well, it, sorry, it's album. a great song anyway. But her version of it's a great. Yes, song. definitely. And also his uh, good times she sings too. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this because I'm not gonna remember. But her obituary. Oh, 500 greatest albums of all time, Rolling Stone, number 83. No, uh, she, in her, she had to in, be in the top 100, didn't she? In I mean, her obituary, Rolling Stone said, and I quote, that this album puts the emphasis not just on the great songs or the amazing music, but on the person speaking them, her world, her story, and whatever journey she's on in life. It rings out like revealed truth happening in real time a declaration of independence. I think well, the Rolling Stone that, the Well, because that, that harmonises with the, because um, she wrote Dr. Feelgood, didn't she? That's one of her songs. She that's did, with, her with her husband, yeah. Ted White, yeah, that's and that's a really confident about sexuality. It's very infused with that kind of sexual tension in it. Um, and that was very, very unusual for a woman a black woman at that time. So it was, it was, that it was really groundbreaking. Did you, um, did you pick up the fact that um, they started recording it um, at Muscle Shoals? No. And, right. So, yeah. So they started recording it um, at Fame Studios, Muscle Shoals, but then there was a big argument between her husband and the studio because all of the 
backing all, all of the session musicians the backing musicians were white and there was this whole thing about why have you got all these uh, white session musicians with uh, this um you know kind of black musician and so um atlantic said no sod that for a game of soldiers picked them all up and relocated to their studios in new york oh, so right. okay a, no i didn't i didn't bit of a battle know that. going on in the background just had a note from barbie um, saying, I'm glad she's given me this note because I was going to say the same thing when you're talking about the Four Tops and the best vocal band. And I think I agree with Barbie. She says she likes The Temptations better. I don't. I, and I've seen The Temptations live. Okay, fair enough. Um, but before, I, I, I like The Temps. I mean, I've, I've got a temp, I've got Temptations stuff. Greatest hits? Uh, yes, obviously. Yes, obviously. But, they are, but, but I mean, they're terrific. They're, they're terrific, but they're not as good as the four times. Not as good as the four times. Okay. Fair in enough. my opinion. No, well, everyone's entitled to one of those. They are. Everyone's got one of those. Like, what, like an arsehole, isn't it? Something like that. <laughs> uh, everyone's got one of those. Oh, like, we've got um, an entire government of those. Oh, oh, oh. Political. Political. I get that. It'd be political um, early on. Right. So that is your fifth one. And it's also my fourth one. It isn't my yeah, first one. It's my it's it, one, two, three. It's not. It's my fourth one. I never loved a man. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we did Buffalo Springfield as well. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. we've just chosen the same ones, haven't we? Yeah, it? I've got, I've got, uh, yeah, I've got. If I bring another one in now, it will make us five all. Okay. In terms of like, you've got one, I've got one. Now this one, I'm sure you will hate with a passion. So I'm going to have a drink before I say it. Okay. It was his. Should I, um, should I leave? <laughs> Maybe not. No, no. Don't worry. It's not. It's not Elvis. It's not that thing ever. It's not Elvis. <laughs> did he have an album? He probably did. Probably nah. did like a gospely one in 1968. Um, just under the wire in 67, released on the 27th of December. It was his eighth album, and it was a return to um, his. I don't say roots, but a return to his sort of semi-acoustic instrumentation and sort of folk influenced oh, songwriting. I know, I know what this is. After he had three albums of electric guitar, which all of his fans hated, dated rock music. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So maybe that's why he went back. So you know who it is. You might yep, know. It's Mr. Dylan. It's Mr. Dylan. Mr. And Robert. it is John Wesley Harding. It is. So have you got it in your 10? No, but no, I've got it on my list of things I think Colin will choose. Well, there you go. And I did. I'm glad I didn't let you down. It was well received, unlike a lot of these albums. It was well received by critics and sold well. Um, number two in the US, number one in the UK. Get in the UK. Um, also on the 500 great albums, uh, Rolling Stone uh, at number 301. A bit lower down, but, you know, it's in there. Containing uh, all along the Watchtower, which of course became one of his uh, most popular songs after Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix uh, version of it. The uh, next next year wasn't it in '68 when he did it. Um, bit of a gap between this and his previous album. Um, Eighteen months. That was because he had a motorbike accident. Maybe so. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, Blonde on Blonde was a previous album. Yeah, no, he had a, he had a motorbike accident up in because um, he lived in Woodstock, uh, the the town, the, the town, not the music festival. Oh, um, okay. And he was there with a whole. I've, I've got a brilliant book about it called Small Town Tales, 
and he had this he had this motorbike accident and he was there the band were there and then like you know Laura Nairo and loads of the the kind of musicians Joplin lived there for a bit Jimi Hendrix lived there for a bit so it was kind of this real creative hub and he and John Wesley Harding came out after he had the bike accident that's Joplin that's Janice rather than Scott yeah yes Jay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, slightly different. They they were yeah. not really very close. Oh, I do like a bit of ragtime. Oh, I do. Like don't a bit of ragtime. I mean, yeah, a bit of ragtime, but not as good as Janice. Um, <laughs> right. uh, well, the, the the recording of it was done like really in three bunches. Uh, the first three hours uh, of recording produced. Uh, I dreamed I saw Saint Augustine, Drifters Escape, Ballad of Frankie Lee, and Judas Priest. Which I assume is that yes. where they got their album name oh, for the time. Can't imagine that it wasn't. No, <laughs> excuse me again. Um, came back in November to record uh, another bunch all along the Watchtower. The title track, John Wesley Harding. Uh, as I went out one morning, I pity the poor immigrant and I am a lonesome hobo. And then he came back again to just finish it off. And I said it was released on the 27th of December. Singles uh, all along the Watchtower was released a single, but it was a flop. Drifters Escape. Eventually made it onto the B-side of a Dylan single, but not until 69. The single being I Threw It All Away, which is from his 1969 album Nashville Skyline, which is one my most favourite Dylan album. And also I Threw It All Away as my favourite Dylan song, which did make number 30 in the UK, 85 in the US, and just for Austin, number 64 in Australia. Named, the album named after Texas outlaw John Wesley Hardin, without the G. So maybe that's a bit of malapropism there. Bit of a surrealistic uh, slip-up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's me done. Dylan, John Wesley Harding. Okay. So tell me. Okay. What so, have you got next? What I a year this is. Got- what a year. I have got a album which is referred to as, quote, unquote, a vital snapshot of a unique era. A vital snapshot of a unique era. With album artwork, which is the, quote, unquote, perfect accompaniment to the very wah-wah pedal distortion avant-garde content. Okay. Is, was it a debut album? No. That's blowing that one out of the water then. I thought I might have got that one. Um, No, tell me. I thought you were going to go Captain Beefheart, actually. Oh, well, I might go Captain Beefheart later. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going Captain Beefheart Don't tell anyone. I won't tell anyone. No. Don't mention Captain Beefheart. I'm no, I've mentioned it once. I think I got away with it. <laughs> you got away with it. No, this is Disraeli Gears. Oh, okay. By Cream. Yeah. The first and possibly only ever jazz rock blues supergroup. And um, I've got this album and I absolutely love it. Um, it's... Um, <laughs> You knew this was coming at some point. Um, there is a school of thought, and it's a school of thought that I 
just have decided to subscribe to just for today, uh, which <laughs> which is that Cream and in particular Disraeli Gears opened the door to the creation of prog rock. Prog rock. Okay. So it was it was one of the I mean, you know, there's a big of argument course. actually is Procol Harum probably started prog. Yeah. But there's an argument that some of what Disraeli Gears is about um is is a kind of a pointer towards what was then going to happen in 68 and 69 with Yes and Genesis, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, you never mentioned for Yes, well done. I thought it's right. marks. Um, marks. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, the um, standout tracks, I mean, the whole album's brilliant, but standout tracks, Strange Brew. Strange Brew. Which is, it's kind of quite, what I like about that is it's almost funk um in uh in in the way Clap, Clapton's playing Sunshine of Your Love um which um is obviously the song that Cream along with White Room became famous for mm-hmm. and White Room was so um was so influential that Hendrix took it up and um, and played it live as well it became part of what of uh, Hendrix's set for a while um i guess the other the other standout track on the album with Tales of Brave Ulysses, which is this um, referred to as a searing, bluesy epic. Um, is epic? You know, can it be an epic if it's only four and a half minutes? Probably not. But it's, um, but it's a, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant song. Just a very influential album, and again, one of those ones where I can remember um, sitting around my mate Mark's house in Buckerstill and him saying. I've you know I've got hold of a copy of Disraeli Gears. Do you know it? No. Well, yeah. Let's play it. And um, you know the, the the vinyl, and that would have been I don't know seventy one, seventy two. So it'd been out a few years, but um, mm-hmm. I didn't know it. And uh, yeah, and it, it was one of those ones which thought, yeah, what a great album. So anyway, yeah, Disraeli Gears, cream. Well, Disraeli Gears was on mine. It's in my ten. Oh, well, um, we're so- doing well. Here. We're doing all right, which is which is fine. This is this is good. It just shows we have we have remarkable taste. Indeed, um, it does. Uh, I mean, I you you put it much more eloquently than I would ever do. So as usual, um, it was uh, it was a UK number five. I can say that it was an Australia number one and a US number four. The album um, recorded in Atlantic, New York City. Uh, the band's visas expired on the last day of recording, which was on the 15th of May, 1967, apparently. Uh, and talking of song, uh, sorry, album titles, I think maybe you had to be there for this one. But, um, yeah, Ginger Baker, according to Ginger Baker, anyway, uh, it was a malapropism by a roadie who was a keen cyclist and he was getting a new bike, uh, and he meant to say, and this means nothing to me anyway, it might to you. <laughs> derailer and, gears. Derailer gears. Blind. He meant to say derailer gears. But is it, is it derailer or is it derailer? Listen, I'm not a cyclist. I can't ride a bike. So I have absolutely no idea. It could However, be it looks my French, gang so. of friends who are cyclists, we'll they, I remember them say, talking about derailer gears. No derailer. idea what they are. But that sounds like a good one. Disraeli gears, and but he said Disraeli gears by mistake. So uh, obviously, caused much mirth, and uh, became the uh, the title of the album. Um, 
the Brilliant. cover, did you mention the cover? Or the yes. Cover art or well, only, only that the artwork was this kind of Martin psychedelic, Sharp. is it? Martin Sharp, the, the oh. artist, yeah, he designed the cover. He tried Brilliant. to try to capture the sound of the music in the cover as a warm, fluorescent sound. Right, that was the word I was looking for, fluorescent, yeah. There you go. A perfect um, accompaniment to the distortion avant-garde content. That fluorescent, is that, is that something you get with toothpaste, isn't it? Something like that. I think you'll find that's fluoride, but you know. I'm just trying to catch you out here. Uh, yeah, um, you did already did that. I'm, and I'm I think you've said, you've said everything there is to say about it. Um, it was a, probably a shorter, shorter songs, maybe, on this mm-hmm. album. More sort yeah, of it wasn't anything more than four and a half minutes. Surf content, yeah, which is not well, normally you don't like them when they're less than about ten. Yeah, but it's here. cream, isn't it? I suppose a perfect encapsulation of the point where the blues got psychedelic and in turn got heavy. A vital snapshot of a unique era. Yes, uh, Rolling Stone five hundred greatest albums number one hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly up there. It's creams. Cream didn't do anything better. Um, I mean, Fresh Cream was a good album. Nothing that came after it was was better. I think it's their it is their defining moment. And the creme de la cream, I like that. Very, very good. Uh, obviously, Strange Brew and uh, Sunshine of Your Love. Strange Brew was a uh, relatively reasonably sized hit in both sides of the Atlantic. I think. Oh no, Strange Brew seventeen in the UK. Wasn't a hit in the States at all. Australia, 21. Sunshine of Your Love was a 25 hit in the UK. Number five in the US and a 22 in Australia. So that's Disraeli Gears by Queen. Yes. So, okay, on to the next one. Um, She's yours. Something very quintessentially English, and it's not the Beatles. For people that might have only just tuned in, I'm not mentioning the Beatles today because Sergeant Pepper was so far and away up, up here somewhere, away from the other lot, uh, in my opinion, that I'm not including. I'm not including Magical Mystery Tour because it, it was it's a US release. It didn't come out here until 1975 and was just like a compilation album anyway. This was by another, probably the behind the Beatles as the, uh, I'll, I'll give you a lyric from it and you'll get it. <laughs> And you'll get it, I'm sure. I, I know what it. I know what it is, because I, I was always annoying about whether to, to choose it. And okay. I you would, so I didn't. Okay. It, well, the lyric I was going to give you: millions of people swarming like flies around Waterloo Underground, but Terry and Julie cross over the river where they are, uh, where they feel safe and sound. Yeah. Uh, and they don't need no friends as long as they gaze on Waterloo sunset. They are in paradise. The Kinks. You're going to say it's a Dave Clark Five, aren't you? No, no, it's the uh, Kinks. It's the Kinks. Yeah, I, I, it's such an amazing songwriter. Came out in September '67. Funny enough, not a big seller. Um, in fact, it only came out in January '68 in the US, actually. But I'm going by the UK issue. Um, in the UK, it only got to number 35, which is very poor. But having read about it, it wasn't helped by the fact that Pi Records were um, had issued a number of budget compilation albums uh, of earlier hits which is obviously competing with it doesn't really help um and and they had two singles from the album that had already been released and were big hits so i don't know whether that had an effect but you, you think that might attract people to buy the album the album is something else anyway or sometimes something else by the kinks um 
number 288 in the Rolling Stone list, 500 Great so, Sorry, which, how many albums did they add before that? Uh, good question. I'll look that well, up. This is not a test. I just wonder, I don't wonder where it sat because was Finnish Green was Society say, before or was after? after? Finnish Green was after. Okay. Although, funnily enough, they did record this, a song, Village Green, for this album, but it ended up being left off right. and, and put on and Village put Green Preservation Society, which yeah. was that 69? Maybe that was a couple of years later. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Um, yeah, Waterloo Sunset had already been a hit, not in America, oddly. Um, I'm not sure either of them were hits in America, actually. In fact, they weren't. So whether they were released and weren't hits or they just weren't released uh, at all, I don't know. But Waterloo Sunset, one of my all-time favourite songs uh, ever. Uh, got to number two in the UK, top 10 in Australia. And the other single was a number three hit in the UK, Death of a Clown, which as a single was actually issued as a solo, the first solo single by Dave Davis, funny enough. It was actually Death of the Clown by Dave oh, Davis. Okay. In the chart. Right. Even though it's on the Kinks album, yeah, it was a Dave Davis um, single. Um, and talking of Waterloo Sunset, and it's not really a Beatle link, but I'll throw it in anyway. Originally, uh, Ray Davis was going to call it Liverpool Sunset because he was a big, big fan of Liverpool. What, the town or the football team? The town, maybe the football team, I don't know. He's from South London, though, isn't he? So I wouldn't have thought it would have been the football team. Who knows? Um, I did. There was a story that Ray Davis has uh, poo-pooed this theory or this story, but that the Terry and Julie in the songs are actually referring to two actors from the time who were having a bit of a uh, Terence Stamp and Julie Christie, ah. who were appearing together in something at that time. But he said no. Um, it's a great album. I mean, Ray Davis is a great songwriter. I think this is the Kinks at, at one of their best because um, his humour, his sense of irony, his um, cynicism and his general perception of things, I think is just... Yeah. And, and as, as I'm sure you're a big fan of Ray Davis as well, he's a very nostalgic, sentimental songwriter, isn't he? Um, yeah, I... I, I, I Am, am I a huge fan? No, I'm not. I, it, it's one of those bands which I kind of grew up with and I've liked all their singles and I'm very happy to listen to them. Um, but I couldn't say hand on heart that I'm a fan. I like them, but I'm not a, I'm not a fan. But I recognise, I mean, he is a brilliant songwriter. He is a brilliant songwriter. I mean, um, David Watts opened the album, which was um, covered by The Jam in 1978. Yes. Um, a I'm better a, version, I think, the gems. The gem, perhaps, uh, perhaps, yeah. I am a dull and simple, so Ray Davis, I'm a dull and simple lad, cannot yeah. tell water from champagne, yeah, and I've right. never met the Queen, and I wish <laughs> I could be like David Watts. Of course, David Watts was the head boy at school. He was the captain of the team, yeah. and he was, the, he was the guy that all the girls wanted to go out with, so poor old Ray, eh? And one of the songs, Two Sisters, because the two brothers didn't really get on a lot all of the time, maybe like a lot of brothers. Or um, like Knopflers. Indeed. Uh, or, or like the Gallagher's. Or um, the Gallagher's, yeah. But the, the, the track uh, Two Sisters, which was, was the story of Sibylla and Priscilla, one of whom was the swinging single 
wayward lass, Dave, in inverted commas, I guess. And the other was a married housewife, Ray, again, in inverted commas. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's my next So they one. weren't singing about Sibylla, the uh, Queen of Jerusalem, uh, in uh, in uh, the Crusades then? That was a different no, Sibylla? That was a different one, yeah. And okay. it wasn't Priscilla of the Desert. <laughs> Either. Thank the good Lord or for that. Priscilla Presley. Or, or <laughs> well, Priscilla. No, she, she, she was the talented version. Of, she was the talented part of the Presleys. Or, of course, Scylla Black, whose real, Black. Name, whose real name, of course, is Priscilla White. Priscilla Black. <laughs> of course. There you go. Yes. Um, that's yeah. another tidbit for you. Right. What have that you is, got next? Uh, okay. I am going for an album by the house band at the UFO club in the mid-1960s. Um, at the UFO club? Um, I don't know. Is this like... Um, no, I don't know. Booker T and the MGs, I was going to say, but that can't be right. No, bit, the, house band, the house band at the UFO club in the mid-60s who launched the psych revolution in the UK as a counterpoint to the Grateful Dead in San Francisco. It oh. is Piper at the Gates of Dawn oh, okay. by Pink Floyd. Oh, of course, we can have a Beatle reference here, can't we? Oh, if we must. Well, no, you, 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 you tell me. It's a heck of an album. Pink Floyd, obviously. We, we, yes, uh, Pink Floyd, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Yep. Um, and... Um, I saw a lovely quote, um, which was, nobody wrote better psychedelic singles than Sid Barrett. And then you kind of think, well, that's a great quote. And then you put that into perspective and go, <laughs> who else was writing psychedelic, psychedelic songs? <laughs> so, um, I mean, you know, he'd done, um, he'd done uh, Arnold Lane. And C. Emily play, which were both which were both singles, both hit singles here anyway, yeah, yeah, and they were and they were very, they were very poppy in that they were structured like pop songs, you know, introduction, verse, chorus, kind of up tempo. Although you know, Sid Barrett type sensibilities and words, Um, so normal songs basically. Sorry. Normal songs, basically. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, but then, um, so obviously, he then kind of took that forward onto Piper at the Gates of Dawn, and um, the big, the big single off that is Astronomy Domini. Domino, yeah, yeah, which is the uh, which is the big uh, kind of single, if you like. Um, and then after this, he basically had a nervous breakdown, didn't he? And then after the rest of yeah, Floyd's yeah. output was basically singing about Sid Barrett. Um, yes. But the um, the centrepiece of this, which I think is the one that points in the direction that Floyd are going, um, is Interstellar Overdrive, which yeah. is this 10 or 9 minute, 35 second. Um, right up your street then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. starting to get like serious music by that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting about that is, you know, it, it's the, it, it's it's the, it, it's the outstanding kind of guitar piece, which is not Dave Gilmore, because Gilmore joins after this, um, and also Roger Waters then 
kind of wrestled control of the band and took it off in the direction of the whole spacey, you know, hence the interstellar overdrive idea, then driven mm-hmm. forward. And, and it very much pointed to where Floyd's career was going um, and ultimately pointed forward to Dark Side of the Moon and, you know, the uh, the albums that we that we know are the we great, know and love yeah. great ones from the seventies, but yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have, you, you couldn't, you couldn't talk about 1967 without having this on it just because it was so influential in, in British rock and mm-hmm. kind of pointed towards, you know, I mean, and we, we, we talked about them a few weeks ago, didn't we, you know, we how did. they stand in the pantheon of, of great bands, all around the place. So although, I mean, it, it, I didn't include it in the debut albums. I don't think any of us did because it's patchy, but it's it, as a, as a, as what 1967 was about. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very much, um, it's very much of its, of its age and of its. Okay. Well, here's a question for you, put you on your spot. Um, it was recorded obviously at Abbey Road studios and it was recorded uh, simultaneously, I believe, uh, with the Beatles doing Sergeant Pepper. Okay. Now, as you say, it was patchy. Would you say you prefer Sergeant Pepper to Piper at the Gates of Dawn, or would you yes. say the other way around? No, I prefer Sergeant Pepper. You would. Okay. I like I like Piper at the Gates of Dawn because it's a pointer to what Floyd became. Yes, but actually, okay. I, got you. I, I got into Floyd at, in from kind of 71 onwards. And when so back those to early the albums, you know, I, I, I like, but I don't love. But it yeah. had to be there. Cool. Okay. It's not on my list, actually. Piper Gates of Dawn. Um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, I should say. I don't know what I said there, but it didn't sound like I said it right. It, it um, sounded like a futuristic pillow. Yes, that's the one. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, Otis. Um, <laughs> <Sod up. laughs> now, you're talking about psychedelia. I wasn't going to mention this one now. I was going to leave it to a bit later. But now you mentioned that. Who else is writing psychedelia? Uh, oh, I, this album, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, all right, we'll see. Um, it was their debut album, June 67. Oh, okay. No. Um, quote, it was one of the very few psychedelic masterpieces ever recorded. Blimey. Only number 24 in the US. Um, two esteemed uh, music, music uh, historians, if you like, from their book, San Francisco Nights, in fact, I said it, well, they were the ancestral link, and again I'm quoting, the ancestral link between psychedelic country rock, glam, power pop, and punk. It's number 121 on Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time you're struggling with this one aren't you i have no idea although um i believe it's safe to say history views um the likes of grateful dead and jefferson airplane uh, as being maybe more important i'm not sure either of them have done an album as good as this one in fact not a lot about not a lot happened after it though unfortunately for various reasons falling apart um, one track um, was voted number 95 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Guitar Songs of All Time, and that was a re- song written by Skip Spence, and it was called Omaha. 
We, are we getting any warmer? No, absolutely not. Tell what it is yet. I was going to do my best Rolf Harris. It's Moby Grape, the album Moby Grape by Moby ah, Grape. Okay. I saw it on the list. I've never heard it. I know nothing about you it. You should listen to it because I think you might like it. Okay. Um, yes, uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this track, Omaha, is. Um, you've got the three guitar, all five of the band members are lead vocalists as well, which is unusual in a band, but Skip Spence, Jerry Miller and Peter Lewis compete in a sort of three-way guitar battle for about two and a quarter minutes, um, each coming from different angles. Maybe a bit like... Freebird. John, I was going to... No, Freebird as well, actually, yeah. That's true. Um, I was going to say John, Paul and George at the end of Abbey Road, on the end, where they each of them have like a couple of bars alternately... Um they come back and turn. um strangely 10 of the 13 songs were released by the uh, record company as singles on the same day a oh, and b no, sides right now i've read about this bizarre isn't it but i didn't know it was maybe great a few okay. of the songs uh, covers have been done i mean robert plant covered uh 805 and naked if i want to the move on their self-titled debut album the following year, covered Hey Grandma. Uh, Cat Power also recorded Naked If I Want To. And even Bruce Springsteen live occasionally did perform Omaha. It, it's a funny old band that sort of disintegrated, um, squandered potential, you might say. Uh, could have been, it could have had everything. Um, but did they only do one album? This lot probably did. I'll check that out. I'll, I'm not sure that none of the others are like spring up as being you know notable albums. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was their only one they did. Um, but yeah, when I've obviously heard of them, but I know nothing about them at all, and I've never heard the album. When the um, album, sorry, when yeah, when the album came out, uh, they 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 had a lot of legal disputes. It's one of the reasons why they just crumbled. Um, with their ex-manager, a guy called Matthew Katz, apparently. Um, and he, in, the, in an extension to the contract, wanted them to sign away the rights to the group name, right. uh, which not, not they, they didn't all want to do, but uh, a number of them did sort of owe the guy quite a bit because while they are in San Francisco, he was paying for like living expenses and stuff like that. Right. So they felt sort of obliged. Um, uh, Peter Lewis, one of the three guitarists I was mentioning there, said... Um, at the time, Neil Young was in the room at the time they signed this up. And although he just kept his head down and played guitar saying nothing, he, he said he knows Neil Young knew at that moment in time, um, even then, that that was the end of the band, basically. Um, let's look. Discography. No, they had... Oh, I don't know. Strange. They had... Maybe another couple of albums. There's a Moby Grape 69 album and something called Truly Fine Sins, and I know nothing about those, so I won't even pretend to. Um, singles, as you said, they're released the same day. Very poorly showing, of course. Omaha, 88 in the US. Hey, Grandma, 127 in the US. That's Moby Grape for me. Okay. Sort of a surprise for you. All right, next for you. Uh, okay. I am going for an album that was rushed out as a follow-up to the previous album, which had been Mega, um, and 
It's um, It's got some bona fide classics on it, but it's a bit patchier than the album that it followed up to. And it is Axis Boulder's Love by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Okay. Um, I've chosen it because um, I thought you'd choose the other one. Um, and um, I, so, um, but I... I, I look back through my record collection and I worked out that actually this is the Hendrix album I don't have. And I have no idea how that happens because I know, I know it really well. And I know <laughs> the songs on it. And I'm trying to work out whether at some point I did have it and it's disappeared or whether it's fallen down the back of a, my CD rack somewhere. Sorry, yeah. CD rack, huge volume of shelves. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I mean, it's got, there's, there's, um, four beautiful tracks in it. Um, Spanish Castle Magic, which has got this glorious kind of spiralling melody on it, which is, I think it's a really, it's a lovely song. Um, Castle's Made of Sand, which is very, very ballady. It, it almost doesn't sound like it should be a Hendrix song, uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, I think, the one which is really interesting is If Six Was Nine, which has got this kind of stop-start sound to it. It's, it's very weirdly structured, and you you kind of go, what was he thinking when, when they did that? Um, but it's got that click, 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 stop, click, 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 stop kind of sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the high point is obviously Little Wing, um, which is um, was subsequently done by Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, great version, very much like Hendrix's version, um, but then also was done by Derek and the Dominoes on Layla, the One Hit Wonder album. The One Hit Wonder, um, yeah. And um, and I I love both versions. I really really like the um, Derek and the Dominoes version. But I think that the what's interesting about this is that it's absolutely brilliantly produced. Uh, you know, so many of the albums are '67 given the recording technology at the time, the production values were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's really good about this album is that you've got Mitch and Noel doing this kind of thudding analog rhythm section, supporting everything that Hendrix is doing with the guitar and the, you know, the acoustic sounds. I just think it's a really, really nice album. Um, and it was, you know, two albums that year. So I decided to pick that one, but yeah, Axis Bowler's Love. Yeah, and well, you'll be disappointed. Actually, I didn't include. I didn't include our experience in it. So you might want to have something to say about it at the end as one of your interviews. Well, that's, that's on my. That's on my. Um, if you have, uh, if we have a bit of time list. at the end, yeah. Um, right. So, what am I going to? I might throw in a real curveball here. Then um, maybe we both of the last two. This one you would never guess in a bunch of million uh, in a million years. I don't think. Um, that's a challenge. Yeah, um, March 67, it was, I will just say it, um, Sinatra. This is the one that he recorded with um, Antonio, Antonio Colos Shobim. Yeah, I think you pronounced the J. Girl from Ipanema on it. I love that. It's a beautiful. I love song. girl. I love. I love. It, I love it opens too. opens the album. Yeah, I love it. Um, too. It was like a it was like bossa nova sound, wasn't it? The yeah, whole album. The whole album. They got that kind of Latin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, it's not, it it's is not, a, it's a nice album. It's not normally my bag, but when I was listening to a lot of these albums over the last two or three days and picked that one up or picked it up, played it, and uh, it's, just, it's just a lovely album. It is a good album. Um, I thought yeah. about it, didn't include it. I didn't think you would. I just thought it doesn't No, really it's just actually... the two of them. Two of them accompanied by a studio orchestra, isn't it? Um, seven yeah. originals by Joe. Uh, I've got to get the pronunciation right, but I think it's Jobim uh, songs and three from the uh, Great American Songbook. So you've got Cole Porter, um, Irvin Berlin, uh, and one from Kismet. I think it was Baubles, Babbles, uh, Baubles, Bangles and Beads. Um, all performed in a Bossa Nova style. Yeah. Uh, got a, a Grammy Award nomination for Album of the Year. Lost out to... Sergeant Pepper, uh, but that's the last we'll mention the Beatles. No, it's probably perhaps, not. You'll perhaps. probably find another way of mentioning. Yeah, I mean, Shobim um, wanted. He had to wait for Frank Sinatra to come back to record the album. Um, he was on a holiday in a bar in the Barbados, uh, where he took um, a mutually agreed break from his then wife Mia Farrow. Um, so Shobim played the guitar and everything apart from one track, which is ironically played by someone called Al Viola, um, who played electric guitar because Shobin found it too difficult. That was Change Partners, which was the Irving Berlin song on the album. It was recorded 30th of January and 1st of February of 1967. But later that evening on the 1st of February, Frank, if he doesn't mind me calling him that, recorded... Something Stupid with his daughter, Nancy, uh, which then went on to be a massive I number one everywhere, <laughs> all over the world. And I love that song as well, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good um, song. US, I, mean, I mean, Sinatra, again, as a singer, Sinatra's voice. You can't is, go wrong. Well, you know, I mean, he's one of, he's one of the greats, isn't you might he? Like, you, might, might, you might like my last one as a singer as well. But anyway, France, Francis Albert Sinatra and Antonio Carlos Jobim, and that got to number 19 in America. Also, number four jazz album in the stage too. Right, I that's think that one. Jobin was didn't he was he recorded with someone else that year, or was it the end of '66? I remember reading about when because I, I was looking at and I was thinking about it in that album myself. And in the end, I thought no, that's too far left field for me. Um, but I, I did, went left field. I went left field. No, well, that's good. Okay. Right. What's your? Well, I've got. So we got two penultimate left. one. You've got, got the yeah. penultimate one. I've only got one left actually, but yeah. Well, and I, and I think from what you said that your penultimate one is also my um, final one, so that will make know, it easy. I don't know. Oh, all right. Well, okay. Yeah, go on. Tell me. Right, so, no, no. So my one I'm doing now is... Um, uh, it, it, groundbreaking, groundbreaking album, first album by a band that sparkled and died, um, or sparkled and died largely because the lead singer sparkled and died. Uh, it's The Doors by The Doors. Ah. And, um, the, um, it's a terrific album. I, 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 like, I like The Doors a lot. I don't love them. It's, they're not one of those bands where I go, oh, I've got to listen to The Doors. But I very much reckon, I mean, you know, there's half a dozen songs I love, um, and I very much recognise their talent. But you look at the... You look at the you look at the band. You know everybody. When people talk about the Doors, they talk about Jim Morrison, yes. the Lizard King, this great kind of poet, terrific voice, 
incredibly charismatic figure in a very kind of overtly sexual kind of a way. Um, but the band were fantastic. You know, Ray Manzarak on keyboards, Robbie Krieger on guitar, John Densmore on drums. I mean, they were a really bloody good band. Mm. Um, and they and they provided the platform then for for Morrison to, you know, be this kind of poet balladeer type. Um, and, and if you look at the track listing, you know, Break On Through very often referred to, and again, you know, 1967, very often referred to as, quote, unquote, the rallying cry for the psych generation, mm-hmm. which I think is not a bad description. Um, back and to dare, dare I say, a bit bossa novery at times. Actually, uh, yes, absolutely. No, very yeah. bossa novery. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, it makes that point in what I was reading about it. Yeah. Um, Backdoor Man, a very... Um, fresh-sounding remake of a blues classic. Um, obviously, the, 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 the song that everybody knows off that album is Like My Fire, which was a US number one single. I don't know what it did in the UK, but it got... 49, something. sir, 49. Okay. And that just kind of oozes sex appeal, doesn't it? I mean, it's just... It, it's just... When you listen to it and, it, it, you, you know, you can see... Even all these years after his death, you can see Jim Morrison. You can see the way he performed. I mean, you know, he was the consummate front man of that era, wasn't he? Mm, um, and then you've got what is just one of the most deeply disturbing songs ever written, in my opinion, uh, The End, which is this kind of 12-minute Oedipal epic uh, and you listen, and it's uncomfortable to listen to. It, it gets played on Planet Rock every now and again, and every time I hear it, I listen to the words, and I think there was some weird shit going on in this bloke's head. Um, but it was, but but I mean, as a as an ending track to a debut album, it was pretty mega. So um, yeah, the doors, the doors. Not only a debut album, but of course, often considered one of the great debut albums of all time. A bit like, um, uh, a bit like the Velvet Underground in a way. Yeah. Um, often cited as being one of the greatest. Light My Fire, yeah, it's probably my favourite song, to be perfectly honest. I didn't realise it's actually a Robbie Krieger song. Yeah, it's a Robbie Krieger song. Yeah, yeah. He's um, a, I mean, Robbie Krieger's a brilliant writer as well. And actually, it, 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 my favourite Doors single... My favourite Doors track of all isn't on this album because my favourite is Riders on the Storm. Okay, that was Riders, yeah, that was seventies, early seventies, I think that was, wasn't it? In the end, just before was it just before seventy one, maybe? Yeah, it might have been, might have been. I can't, um, I, I can't even remember which album is on, but I mean that one. The atmosphere on Riders on the Storm is Morrison Hotel. Morrison Hotel. I think, I think it's Morrison know. Hotel. And then I'm LA. not sure. No. I, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. No, but, don't don't uh, quote me either. But I, that's my favourite track. But I mean, I think as a, a in, as an overall package, I think this is the best album. Yeah, so. Cool. They had two albums that year. Of course, had Strange Days later on in the year. Um, okay, the Doors. That leaves me with one. We got one each left there. Yeah. Um, now this one, I think again, we'll throw you. There's no way I think you're going to predict this one. But if you like vocalists, you should love this guy. Mm-hmm. It was a number three hit in the UK. It was his debut album, September 67. And uh, although it was, again, it was released in early 68 in the US, I believe. 
didn't have much success as a solo artist over there. He he sort of moved on from being a 60s teen pop idol to venture into sort of baroque pop and then in and, and then he became a 20th century 21st century uh, avant-garde musician really. Um this album came out six months after the third album by the Walker Brothers, of which he was the lead singer. Um, and it can, it's Scott Walker, and it's Scott, just called Scott. Um, it contained four types of songs, really. He had a few of his own songs, some contemporary covers on there as well, movie songs, and... More interestingly for him, at least, because he deter- he thought he was the most significant singer-songwriter in the world, uh, a number of English-translated versions of songs by Jacques Brel, um, the Belgian singer-songwriter. Oh, now I've got a story about Jacques Brel. I'll okay. tell you a Jacques Brel story. All right. You leave it to the end then. But um, I, I love his voice. Um, I do, his beautiful voice. Amazing. Great voice. Rich, a deep. Uh, it's a sort of um, sort of a movie soundtrack sort of voice to yeah, me. Anyway. Absolutely, yeah, I, yeah. I would imagine any sixties film with Michael Caine in should have his, <laughs> yes. his voice as a theme <laughs> yeah. tune. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how he didn't get the Bond James Bond gig, I don't know. He, well, he would yeah. fit a James Bond theme. Well, yeah, I mean, you hear his voice and Sean Connery walking onto the onto the screen. I mean, made in heaven. Absolutely, Miss um, Marnie Penny. Um, yeah, a bit Phil Spector Wall of Soundy, uh, as was his second album, but you know, yeah. nothing, nothing too wrong with that. Well, well praised critically. Um, was there hit, uh, not all the hit singles? No, he didn't have a hit single. In fact, um, he, he did have a hit single later on in the year, which was Jackie, um, right. yeah, okay. which I think might have been in his second album. It wasn't on Scott, but that was, uh, I think I reached 22 in early 68 in the UK, but. It was it was banned for its uh, I don't know drug references and and one lyric which was authentic queers and phony virgins I quote unquote <laughs> um, Scott Walker Scott is my final one there so Jack Brell or yeah no I'll tell him a Jack Brell story so um, I was uh, as you know I did a lot of work in Brussels because of uh, doing all the work for the EU. And um, I, uh, I stayed in this hotel, which I booked really, really late because I got a gig late on and it was kind of, you know, find a place where I could actually sleep for a couple of nights. And so I pitched up on Chaussee de Mon, which was this road. And uh, I walked in and I checked in. And as I walked through the corridor down towards my bedroom, which was nothing special, it was, a you know, very much a commercial hotel. Um, I thought there's all these pictures of this bloke all around the place, like literally everywhere. And obviously a lot of them in the hotel. So um, I went for dinner and because it was Belgium, the food was fantastic, which made up for the fact that the rooms were very, very average. Uh, And I was chatting to the lady who owned the hotel who was, you know, doubling up as the waitress. And uh, I said, all these pictures. And she went, you don't know? And I went, no. And she said, it's Jack Brell. And I went, oh, okay. So he's the bloke who left Paris, who left Brussels and went to Paris to make his to make his career and she said yes and he spent his last night in brussels ever in this hotel oh, really? and this was where he had his farewell dinner in this restaurant where you're sitting 
What the actual seat? The, uh, well, I don't know if it was the actual seat, but, but it, it was. was in but, the but it was. It was in that restaurant, and that's oh, why wow. all the Jack Brill memorabilia was around. So I had a fascinating then conversation with her all about him and his family and mm. his history and why he went to Paris. And it was brilliant. It was one of those off the cuff nights, and you just go, "Well, that was interesting," you know. Yeah. Was, didn't see that one coming. Anyway, yeah, Jack Brill. He sounded a cool dude, actually. It was very Jack. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's the end of Jack, bro. You've got one more to give us then. We could I have one. And up. my last one that I have chosen, um, I have to say, I've chosen it because it had to be here, not because I'm particularly a fan. Ooh. So this is one of those ones where you go, yeah, that's got to be in, hasn't it? Because of um, because of what it was, so this is an album which, quote unquote, is described as a hipster's must. Ooh. And obviously, I haven't got it in my list. Otherwise, you would have said, um, mm, "What could it be?" Hipsters must. It wasn't their debut or anything, was it? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. No. Tell me. Safe as milk, Captain Beefheart. Oh, well, God, I should have said that because you said Captain Beefheart when I mentioned it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I absolutely cannot stand Captain Beefheart's voice. Right. And as a singer, it's it, some voices which are not, which are not classically good voices. I like so, like Roger Chapman from Family. Even though his voice is a bit horrible, I like it. But I can't stand Captain Beefheart's voice. Having said that. Um, this is this is just a real album of its time. Um, you've got Bob Krasnow and Rich Perry doing kind of pop production, and then added with Beef Art's vision. Um, and it was interesting because he hired Herb Berman as the um, as as a songwriter, who was also bass player, um, to sex up some of his tunes. But then he also had Ry Cooder um, mm-hmm. to do a lot of the arrangement and he played Slide on it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the band mm-hmm. was finished by Milk Jackson on um, Vibraphone and then Alex Clare and John French, who would become um, Magic Band stalwarts. Um, and it's it's a really interesting album because it's if you kind of listen to the tracks, you've got Delta Blues, you've got Jazz, you've got Psych, you've got R&B, You've almost got US folk rock, um, Dropout Boogie, I'm Glad, Autumn Child, which is uh, referred to in a number of the things that I read about the album as an acid symphony. Um, And if you kind of take the whole thing as if you take it as a whole, it kind of points in the direction of Trout Mask Replica, which is obviously you know, probably for a Captain Beefheart fan, he's probably his top one defining defining moment. But yeah, I think yeah. again, not just me, because of the spirit of the age and the era, I, I found it difficult not to include it. As I say, but not a huge fan. But I think it had to be there. So yeah, Captain. Yeah, Beefheart. I mean, I I had it on. It's on my reserve list there. Um, Safe as milk. I mean, I, I, that's my favourite album of his. I mean, I, I think a lot of his stuff goes above my head. To be perfectly honest. Uh, a bit like Zappa, a lot of his well, stuff. That's really interesting. You should say that. I was just about to say him and Zappa are in the same. In they're, the same they're sort of un- un- uncategorizable, really, yes. aren't they? In a way. Um, but this album was quite sort of bluesy. Yeah, it was. Um, I thought, um, and I love the opening track. 
which is uh, sure enough. And yes, I yeah, do. Sure enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is there then to say on that? Well, I don't think there's anything else to say on that one really. So that's the last of all of them. I've got. So did you have it? Did you have that on your list? I had it on a reserve list. Yeah, on your reserve list. Right. I had it on a reserve list. Um, so what else have we got on our reserve lists then? We can run through the titles without going into detail because yep. we're running a bit out of time. We've had an hour okay. at least. So um, um, I, I had I had the doors in there, which you yep. covered anyway. I had Safe as Milk. I had Are You Experienced, Jimi Hendrix. I had Serialist. I, I also had I also had Are You Experienced in my reserve list. I had Procol Harum in there as a reserve as well. Yeah, which was did, was that the one that had White Shade of Pale on? Well, was it was in the US. Yeah, but not in, in the, the UK. UK. It didn't have it on, strangely, no. um, but it did have it on. That the was US. the self. That was the self-titled album. Self-titled one, yeah. and it was the, that was their debut. It was yeah. in '67. Yeah, um, came out after after the success of White Shadow Power. Yeah. and the other ones I've got a smiley smile from the Beach Boys. Yeah, okay. which was you know one of the sort of cult albums, really, uh, sort of a bastardized version of Brian Wilson's Smile Project. But I mean, good vibrations is on it, so you know what yeah, can you what song. can go wrong, um, and a couple of other ones which you might be surprised. But uh, one little tidbit I had actually I was going to say at the start, but I forgot. Um, in the UK, apart from I think the thirty first of December, when Val Dunican went to number one in the UK with some pile of absolute shite, love um, Matthew nude. With all due respect, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry Val. <laughs> only four albums, four albums, individual albums. Um, were at hold the number one position in the UK during the year 1967. Two really? of them, but and two of them were by the same band. Was that the Beatles? No, because <laughs> as we've said, they only had one released in that year because Magical yeah, Mystery yeah. was only yeah, released right. in the US. Okay, so no, the, the 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 other odd one was the Sound of Music soundtrack. Great, obviously was one. And the other two were the first and second albums by The Monkees. Oh, really? Okay. And I've thrown in more of The Monkees as one of as, as a throwaway one at the end there. Um, and one I thought of today, which I could have, I couldn't have that, and Josh, John Wesley Harding in by Dylan, was actually Leonard Cohen's first album, Songs of Leonard yeah, Cohen. Yeah, I, Leonard Cohen I looked at and thought I wanted to have what are your? Have, well, have I missed any of yours out there? Uh, no, the, right, well, no. So the ones I've got are I had. Are you experienced? Um, yeah. Electric music for the mind and body by Country Joe McDonald and the Fish. Oh, right, okay. Um, which didn't have uh, fixing to die on it rag. Fixing to die rag on it, which it should have done because obviously that's the song they're known for. Yes. Um, I had uh, I had Dark Carpo by Love. Um, oh, okay. I had Younger Than Yesterday by the Birds. By the Birds, yeah. Yeah, which was their first song, their first album, which was kind of moving away from them doing basically country rock singles. Um, I had Are You Experienced? And then the other one I had, which I thought you might have chosen, was Chelsea Girl by Nico. Mm, yeah. I don't know. As an in, as a, as an entire album, I don't know whether I would have that in there. But, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not a bad album. It's not a bad album. Um Okay, I'll just quickly then run through. I've got the, the you have four loyal listeners here. I'll start with uh, Barbie. A lot of these will be covered. We've covered already, actually, I think we'll find. But Barbie had The Doors. Uh, Are You Experienced? Sergeant Pepper, which of course would have been in, in mine, but I didn't put it in. Um, an interesting one. Good to have it in there, though. 
was High Priestess of Love. Uh, sorry, High Priestess of Soul by Nina Simone. That's another oh, great voice. Yeah, terrific. Another great yeah, voice. Yeah, terrific. Uh, the Temptations Life. Yeah. Uh, Procol Harum. Hello, I'm Dolly by Dolly Parton. That's been yeah, an early can't one. Stand Dolly. Can't stand Dolly Parton. Uh, surrealistic Pillow. And um, you Futuristic Pillow. I, or Futuristic Pillow. That was the next one. <laughs> and Alice's Restaurant by Arlo Guthrie. Oh, an interesting selection there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Strange Days by The Doors. Then we have, uh, oh, we'll stick with America. We've got Buddy Addison. Uh, he's given us, if, if we, I think we've mentioned all of these, Sergeant Pepper, Bubba, a Buffalo Springfield again, Velvet Underground and Nico, The Doors, Strange Days, Surrealistic Pillow, and Futuristic Pillow, obviously. obviously. Axis, Boulders Love, and Are You Experienced? And then we have good old Graham. He has given me a few Disraeli Gears. Goodbye and hello by Tim Buckley. I know he's a Tim, big Tim Buckley yeah. fan. Yeah, I look, there's, there, was there two Tim Buckley albums that year? Pass. I, 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 I thought about Tim Buckley as uh, something the... else by the Kinks. Are you experienced? The Doors, Velvet Underground, and Nico, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Forever Changes, Safe as Milk, Buffalo Springfield again, and Sergeant Pepper. And Max has given us eight. Uh, again, we've heard them all. So Sergeant Pepper, Disraeli Gears, I experienced something else. Velvet Underground and Nico, Buffalo Springfield again, Forever Changes and The Doors. So and we've got a kind of a core of seven or eight, which I think everybody's chosen. I think we have, yeah. Now, I'm just going to give you my predicted 10 for you, all right? All right. And Forever Changes, are you experienced The Doors? Surrealistic Pillow and Futuristic Pillow, obviously. Piper <laughs> at the Gates of Dawn, Procol Harum, Disraeli Gears, Axis Bold of Love, Boulder's Love, Moby Grape. I had you put that one, obviously, you've never heard of that one, so obviously not. And finally, I put down Big Brother and the Holding Company. Big Brother and the Holding Company was 1968. You sure? I am. Gonna, I, have it, I have it, it and I checked it. And I wanted to put it and in. You would have had it in. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of cheap thrills, cheap thrills. But luckily, I didn't include it in anything. So well, cheap, no, we'll okay, be all right. right. So no, okay, no. I'm talking about cheap thrills. Are you talking about the original? I'm talking about the original debut album. Oh, that could have been '67. Big I Brother don't. and the Holding Company. Obviously, yeah, you don't know been. too much about that then. Right. Okay. So that's a lot. So you got. So you got six of mine. I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You did well. Well, I didn't and do I, badly, did I? The yeah, lad I did I've, well. I've got four or five of yours, so yeah, that was uh, we were we were we were close or there. Good album, good album, good show. Thank you very much for that. Um, some great albums. Thank you everyone for contributing their own. And um, as we are going to post this, uh, we'll say cheerio and all that. This will be posted to Breaker, Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify. Be on the Off the Record Facebook page and the CBW Productions Facebook page, and of course, um, eventually, the BBC. Of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, um, so, in the meantime, yeah, get tuned in at CBW Radio. Listen to the podcast. All on the CBW Productions ProductionCompany.com website. This one, they're all on there. Going back, all thirty-two of them now. Uh, also, strictly stretching time. Seth Cito's uh, Corner Corner 
and oh, what else is all oh, the rebel radio shows on every monday night on cbw radio uh at 5 p.m uh eastern time so in the meantime we again have to make like a tree and get out of here as you said last week and um it's a good night from me and it's a good night from him not off thank you